For tuning in to the 418th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, our host, Daryl D. Lane, as always. Wherever you are, however you may be listening, I thank you for making me and the show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, or whatever podcasting ever platform you may be listening to me via. Big Core from Buffalo, New York, per usual. Gonna have a very special guest for all you guys. Gonna have Brian Kobrowski. He covers the NBA. He writes for Hoops Hype. We have a great conversation. We talk about analytics as it pertains to the MVP race. We talk about the play-in games uh, that have capillated the NBA season uh, as we head into the postseason. I'll just talk about some NBA draft stuff with Brian as well. And then towards the tail end, we talk about some of his favorite NBA athletes and college basketball players he's interviewed and who he would like to have a conversation with. So I really enjoyed the, uh, the convo as a whole. Now, I will say this. Uh, I was actually going to do more draft stuff, NFL draft stuff. I was going to go through interior defensive linemen and uh, linebackers, but just came back from dinner, uh, had a few drinks, uh, not really feeling like kind of breaking it down because I kind of had to all break it down in writing. I have all the film done and all my notes. I just have to kind of organize it and break these players down into certain boxes to explain it to all you guys. So you know what? I was like, okay, Daryl. We'll do this next week. So next week, you guys will get my interior defensive lineman and my linebackers. And right now, as we speak, I'm doing my cornerbacks. I'm like halfway through the corners. By the way, Sauce Gardner, uh, Ahmad Gardner, top five overall, play- overall player in this draft. Very special. That I will tell you guys. Uh, he can do it all. Uh, so that's just what I'm thinking in terms of uh, giving out my draft rankings. Now, with all that, just so you guys all know, I am going to give my shameless plug, as always now. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, you can click on the timestamps, and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Follow me on Twitter, at Nitrate underscore Lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl and you will find it. I post two five-minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then just don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. You got him next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Brian Kobrowski. You got him next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. With Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Brian Kobrowski, uh, covers the NBA and writes for a Hoops Hype. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So the first thing I have to ask you is this. Just give me your thoughts to playing game. We've just had a few days of playing game basketball. Just what are your thoughts to the whole thing in general? I know it's newer. Some people like it. Some people don't. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, 
I'm typically in favor of it, I'd say. I think that for the most part, um, you know, it provides a level of competition uh, to teams towards the end of the season. And, you know, specifically uh, once the trade deadline hits, um, kind of leading up to that point, too, uh, where, where more teams are going to be more competitive. And I know that, you know, avoiding tanking is something that the league has really cared about and fought for for a while now. Um, and I think that, you know, measures they can do to keep the season more interesting um, are measures that I certainly support. Uh, and, you know, that kind of has encouraged teams like the Pelicans to, um, you know, make moves to make their team more interesting. And I think that makes a good talk for the fans. Now, let me give you this scenario. And, and this will be, and I, I agree with everything you said. And I think it's probably, in, in the end of the day, a good thing for the league because it does stop taking that as something that they definitely fight against with the whole process. 76 or something, that's definitely something that the league is fighting against. But what about a scenario with this? And this didn't happen, but let's say this happens. Minnesota, who was clearly the seventh seed in the Western Conference, let's say they lose to the Clippers. And then let's say the Spurs, uh, they beat the Pelicans, and the Spurs beat the Timberwolves. And then you have a scenario where I think the Timberwolves were how many games ahead of the Spurs? Like eight to ten. Yeah, a, a, I mean, a scenario like I, that I, happens. Yeah, I have no, I have, I have no problem, uh, really. Um, you know, with that, be, uh, because um, you know, I think that there's there's measures taken, you know, to uh, make sure that the team that has the higher seating, you know, can only have to lose twice, right? So that um, definitely plays into it, and they get the home court advantage, which plays into it. So there is still an advantage given to them. It's not completely random. It's not like a one-game March Madness type of thing. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, the, the idea of a lower seed, you know, even if there are several games behind, uh, you know, winning out twice um, mean, or means that they, they have deserved uh, their spot in the tournament. And, and to me, uh, that's a good thing and, and something that should be celebrated um, and not admonished because... Uh, they're clicking at the right times, you know, they're firing off cylinders, um, you know, they're able to get uh, big wins and play in those big moments. I mean, that's what playoffs are for, uh, and so that's what you're able to uh, really get with guys like that uh, when they're able to come in and, and, and step up. So, um, you know, so if it's a lower-seeded team, but they but they, they fight for it and they win, um, I think that's that's only a good thing. Yeah, when you talk about moments, I, I think of the Timberwolves-Clippers game a few days ago, and when everybody's jumping around, you see all the passion coming from everybody on the Timberwolves, Patrick Beverly, and everything. That probably doesn't happen if, you know, with just how it's been regularly before the last few years, where Minnesota, they just know they're the seventh seed and they're in a playoff series where it's kind of like, it's a, it's a qualifier, it's a play-in game. It's kind of like when you see in March Madness, these teams that are like in these uh, group of five schools or whatever, they win their conference tournament, then they know they're in, right? So it, it kind of adds that type of emotion. Yeah, 100%. And, and so, you know, you get, uh, you get moments like that uh, that I think are, you know, good, they make for good television. They give their home fans, um, you know, something to really be excited about. Um, you know, it gives a good atmosphere, obviously, you know, more gate revenue, too. And, um, you know, I, I know someone who's playing, who's, um, who, who went to their first NBA game, um, and it was that playing game for the Timberwolves, and they got to see um, a really cool environment there because, you know, that was their first experience ever for an NBA game, and it wasn't like, you know, the doldrums of the offseason, of, uh, of the late regular season. Um, it was like a really high stakes, you know, high excitement environment. Do you think the Timberwolves celebration was a little excessive? I don't. I don't really. Uh, I don't really care how they celebrate in terms of 
um, that I mean, I think it's kind of funny, and I think it, it makes sense to, to clown on them a little bit. I think it's funny seeing the inside the NBA crew, you know, do like the one shining moment montage for them. I thought that was really funny, um, you know, considering what the stakes were for that. You know, they were expected to win the game, and they did, so that's great. Um, but I, I mean, I don't, I, excessive, not to having fun. Like it's all good. So the Clippers, they lost. They're going to have to play the Pelicans. If the Clippers win, do you think we'll see Kawhi in the postseason? Um, common thing on Kawhi is, is kind of a fool's errand, right? Trying to predict that man's decision-making process. He keeps such a tight ship. Uh, it's really hard to know one way or the other with him uh, about literally anything at all. Um, but uh, you know, his health, I mean, um, I didn't even realize that he had gotten hurt last year to the severity that he had. Um, until, you know, he's now missed the full season. So, uh, really, really hard to say. Um, and I can't pretend to have any expert-level knowledge on Kawhi Leonard um, in particular for this kind of stuff. Um, I, if I were a betting person, um, I would say no. And strength is such a huge part of his game, too, that I think that it would definitely be challenging. But, you know, if there's anybody who could do it, you know, it definitely is him. But, you know, we're seeing it with Clay a little bit right now, too. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy to come back, especially, um, you know, for a high-stakes team uh, and make a contribution right away at a high level. It's not easy at all. How much do you think, though, that would, let's say, they, Kawhi does come back at some point and they're playing the Suns. How much do you think that changes a series? Uh, I mean, drastically. It changes their whole game plan. changes their whole rotation. Um, and not even just the contributions uh, that Kawhi makes himself, which are obviously going to be uh, immense because he's you know one of the best players on the planet. Um, but but frankly, like you know, just the matter of who gets those minutes, who loses those minutes, you know, who steps up, you know, uh, who takes on is a defensive assignment. You know, if someone's taking Kawhi Leonard guarding him, that might leave Paul George more, more open now, um, which I think can you know give them more spacing. And now you have to put two great defenders on guys instead of. Um, you know, just having to worry about one really elite score. So does that mean that Terrence Mann goes off? Or does that mean um, that Luke Kennard suddenly is really wide open on the perimeter over and over and over again? I mean, um, there, there's, a, there's a myriad number of ways in which uh, it really changed things. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that uh, I would take the Clippers over the Suns uh, regardless um, because I think that the Suns, you know, are really just a phenomenal team this season. Isn't it kind of crazy that the Suns have been so good, but they don't have anybody who's getting serious MVP consideration? Because throughout the course of the history of the league, you've really never seen that. Most teams that are winning 60-plus games, they have a guy that's kind of in the thick of the MVP conversation. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that that's a testament to just how good uh, Nikola Jokic, Juan Santos de Campo, and Joel Embiid um, you know, are basketball. Um, I, I would guess that Devin Booker finishes top five MVP voting when it's all said and done. Um, I think that he kind of made a late push to really make his firm placement, um, you know, in that mark uh, recently, uh, deservedly so for the reasons you said. Um, and you know, if somebody put Devin Booker uh, at one, I don't think that I would fault them for it. Um, I wouldn't do it when I did my, you know, I mean, I don't get a vote with the league, but I do votes publicly, you know, for my readers and. Um, when I did that, I didn't. I didn't have Booker won by any stretch. And um, frankly, I've always sort of taken issue with the idea of best player, best team uh, getting uh, the MVP automatically because he was the best player on the best team. Because you know, I don't think that the Suns are good, are as good as they are, rather because of Devin Booker. I think Devin Booker 
uh, is a huge instrument uh, in why they are as successful as they are. But I don't think it's because Devin Booker is who he is. I think that it's a testament to their depth, to their uh, excellent front office work, uh, and most specifically, um, you know, to, to their coaching, Bonnie Williams, but you know, also the culture change and the Chris Paul helped to institute. Um, I think if I were to give a list of the reasons why I think the Suns are as good as they are, I, I mean, I think Devin Booker would obviously be uh, towards the top, but I'm not sure I'd list him as the reason why he's the one seed. Um, I think, you know, coaching and uh, Chris Paul's leadership and uh, their front office uh, moves to um, have so much depth. I mean, you know, they, they got nine, ten guys deep, man. I mean, it's, it's something you see with, with winning teams, um, something you don't see with losing teams. You know, you look at, um, you know, a team like the Lakers, and one of the reasons why they struggled so much is because they lacked depth. Um, you know, a guy goes down with injuries, uh, Phoenix has more guys to put in their place, you know. Chris Paul misses some time, campaign's able to step up. You know, I mean, they're, they're playing the whole season without Dario Starch. Um, you know, that's a, that was a key contributor for them, too. So then, if you're not a fan of best player on the best team, how do you think we should look at the MVP? <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's holistic. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's it's more than anything. Um, you know, I think uh, a way to kind of look at the history of the league. Um, I, that's at least how I like to look at you know previous chapters of the NBA's legacies. Is you know um, who, who won the MVP that year? Who, who was the real guy? Who uh, the story of the season? Uh, can be told about, right? Um, and, you know, Jokic won it last year because he's been on present type of things. Um, and Jokic is doing, uh, in my estimation, uh, more impressive things this year than he did last year when he won the MVP. Um, you know, I think that, um, obviously, Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo um, you know, are just phenomenal basketball players in, in every right. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, Giannis is one of the MVPs already, too. And, I think it'd be one MVP one day, so it's not to diminish any of their accomplishments by any stretch. But, you know, I think across the board, um, Jokic is the most valuable player uh, in the league. I mean, I think if you look at, you know, what that Denver team would be without him, um, it's it's kind of, you know, laughable. I mean, they're, they were ravaged by injury with Porter and Murray both out this year. Um, and, you know, they, they still are going to be, you know, fire shot in the playoffs because of... Uh, the accomplishments that Jokic uh, has made. So, and this is interesting. If Nikola Jokic getting MVP again, it sounds like that's where you're, you are in terms of who you think uh, should be MVP. How close or how much of a gap do you think there is between Jokic at one and, and beat or Giannis at two and three? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's um, uh, ginormous. Uh, I don't think that it's, like, significant. But I do think... Um, that for me, Jokic has kind of been my MVP for um, pretty much the entire season. Um, so I never really had a scenario where, you know, when I was doing, you know, my, my rankings with MVP, um, where I had either Embiid or Giannis above Jokic. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, some people get really feisty about this particular debate, right? Some people, you know, on Twitter have been really, really, you know, anti-analytics in terms of um, trying to make sure that, uh, you know, they get their argument right in favor of Embiid. Um, and, and I think that that's great. Good, good for them. You know, I think that if you if you like, um, you know, Embiid and you think he should be the MVP, then that's great. But, um, you know, I think that uh, for, for, for me, like, I, I'm, I've kind of held firm in my opinion all year. I think it is 
um, pretty interesting that, um, uh, you know, Jokic is going to have more MVPs than, you know, Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, who both won the, uh, won the award uh, once. Uh, I think, if, you know, he wins another one this year. Um, we'll have two, so that's that's interesting to me in terms of the history of the league. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, there's any problem, uh, you know, with giving the award to someone like Jokic, who has been, um, you know, such a fantastic basketball player for so long. How much the argument with you know, for Jokic do you think is analytics? Well, I mean, analytics is, you know, a huge part of what basketball is. I think that, um, you know, it's uh, the, the thing that I uh, think people might be forgetting with analytics, right, is that, you know, these things aren't just arbitrary numbers. They're, they're numbers assigned um, to the things that happen in a basketball game to help you win. Um, and the number goes up, you know, the number is higher. Uh, when you do these winning plays. So Jokic has done these winning plays. It's not, you know, random number assigned like the lottery. You know, his number is assigned based off of his scoring, his on-off impact, you know, his rebounding, his assists, his steals, his, um, you know, his, his ability to, you know, elevate his teammates and his ability to, you know, be able to contribute all around. So I think, um, you know, while the idea of analytics definitely plays a big part uh, in the conversation, to me, to me, it's way more about the fact that, you know, the analytics aren't, aren't random. It's that they're based off of things that, you know, happen that he has done, or he has accomplished, um, that, that people aren't doing at his level. Uh, I mean, he's going to set the record. He just did set the record um, for the best box plus minus and player efficiency rating of all time, best single season of all time. And I mean, but, you know, if you look at the history of the league, no one has ever done um, the collection of things that he's done uh, this season. Now, box plus minus and PER um, aren't my two favorite analytics uh, uh, measurements by any stretch, um, but they are the ones that go, date back to farthest. So they're the ones where we're able to kind of pull back and you know compare it to the likes of Will Chamberlain, Kirkwood Jabbar, Michael Jordan. And, you know, of all the seasons that all those guys played in the league, you know, no one ever did anything um, you know to the level uh, that Jokic just did. So I think a lot of times people don't understand analytics and really analytics. You, you know, their stats, their statistics are just more advanced statistics than your regular counting ones like just points, blocks, steals, rebounds, assists. They're just more analytical and deeper ways of looking at it. It's kind of from the same family, just a little bit different. That's the way I've always looked at it. But for people who maybe don't understand it, right, and sometimes people, you know, fear and really don't want to understand what they don't know, you just give an example of a specific analytic that you like that's kind of like, okay, this is why I think Joker should be the MVP. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I like to look at um, the thing that I track, uh, which is kind of all of the advanced numbers in one little spreadsheet. Uh, I'm not the only one that does this. I know, you know, ESPN, Zach Lowe, or something similar. And um, Owen Phillips used to have a newsletter. He works for the Knicks now, um, where he kind of suggested the method. But um, basically, what I like to do is, uh, you know, average out um, all of the kind of catch-all, all-in-one impact stats um, to, that, that are available uh, to the public uh, and kind of have a composite number. So it's not a direct average. It's kind of based off of your uh, relative average to the score. Um, and, you know, basically, uh, I think that maybe if one stat says you're the best, maybe that stat is flawed. But, you know, if you kind of average it out across 10 different stats, um, and you're able to really perform well in all of those marks, it's a lot harder to argue that for me. Um, and for me, you know, 
when I do that, which I track all season long, Jokic has been, you know, the number one player across that uh, all season. So, not that he performs particularly well at just PER or BPM, you know, he also does well in the 538s model. He does well um, in a model on uh, dunks and threes, which is a, a website, you know, created by a former head of analytics for uh, the Utah Jazz. Um, he does well um, in, like, pretty much every measurable uh, way across the board. So how much do you rank the impact of analytics when we're talking about the NBA? And I know you don't have a vote, but you said, you know, you do a bunch of public votes. How much do you rank, let's say, analytics like that's one category, then the other one is just, let's say, counting stats, then let's just say eye test, then let's just say uh, wins-loss record, right? Because people got that for the MVP who has the best record. Uh, standing in your conference, uh, where do you all put those in terms of importance? Um, yeah, I mean... You know, I don't think that I have, like, a formula of, like, uh, anything like that. You know, I think that, um, you know, it's a, like I said, it's a composite um, of all of those things. And uh, I think that there's, um, you know, a lot of uh, different ways to go about, um, you know, the process. And, you know, doing a lot better at one, um, you know, than anybody else's at one uh, might be uh, part of it. But, you know, I, I think that... Um, you know, it, it's, it's a hard question, right? Because there, there are so many different ways to look at, um, you know, the performance on a basketball court. Um, and frankly, uh, you know, there is no right way. Um, and so I don't like to get too caught up uh, in, you know, my opinion being the right one. Um, I think that sometimes it's okay to admit, uh, in retrospect, um, you know, that we were wrong uh, about something. I, uh, my favorite subject for the NBA of the NBA draft, and I try to study that as closely as I possibly can. Um, I absolutely love the draft, and I think that uh, it's, it's fascinating. And one of the reasons why I like it so much is because every year without fail, um, you know, we prove that the, that the experts, the people who, um, you know, make a whole living off of doing this, you know, scouts and uh, player development personnel and um, front office execs and uh, analytics people as well, um, you know, who, who literally have uh, countless resources and, and so much re- so much game film and the combine and, you know, one-on-one interviews and uh, individual workouts and team workouts and all these things that go into making a decision on who to draft and they still get it wrong all the time. Um, and for me, like, you, I know it's kind of a tangential answer to your question, um, but, you know, to me, if the question is... Uh, any number of things. It's like everyone's got a different method, and um, you know you can come to a conclusion. But you know, like with the draft, like there are players that I've missed on uh, every year. Um, there are guys who I didn't see it with who have been phenomenal basketball players. I mean, you know, it's sometimes they're hiding in plain sight. Sometimes you know, with someone like Jokic who was a second round pick, uh, you know, coming from Serbia. Uh, so it's, it doesn't uh, really come down to. Any one thing, it's a composite of a million things, and um, I think that, you know, it's okay to admit that sometimes they're wrong. I mean, like I said, like, I have Jokic at one, if somebody has not beat at one, uh, I, I think there's no nothing wrong with that at all. I, 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 I get it. 
So you mentioned this, and I thought this was also interesting. Uh, on Twitter, there's a lot of people who will try to debunk analytics because they're trying to go for Joel and beat. But this gets to a bigger thing that I've noticed when it comes to Nikola Jokic. And I just want to know if you've seen this or you kind of feel the same way about this. I feel like if you were to ask just objectively most casual NBA fans, they wouldn't <clears throat> say, you know, Jokic is MVP or Jokic is all that or Jokic is all that special. I think that's what you would get for most NBA fans. There would probably be more down on Nikola Jokic. Uh, I think if you were to ask, let's say, GM, scouts, they would be high on Jokic. I think if you were to ask uh, media members, people who cover the game, they would say, yes, I'm high on Jokic. And if you were to ask players, it would probably more skew down to some of the fans. You would say, like, or they'd say, oh, this guy's better, this guy's better. Do you kind of see and hear the same thing? Um, you know, I think that, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying, um, where, where there's a million uh, different um, uh, people who have opinions on basketball, um, and maybe uh, you know, I think that you know, the smart front offices, smart NBA teams, um, employed people who have uh, a wide range of thoughts. So um, I, I don't necessarily think that it's skewed one way or the other. Um, I think the predominant skew right now is kind of more pro Jokic, but um, you, know, you, you hear you hear a ton of Embiid stuff as well. Which MVP season, because I think most people think Jokic is going to get the MVP this year. Which MVP season do you think will be better, this one or last one? Which one impressed you more? Um, probably this one, because he did it without Porter uh, and, and Murray, without much of a drop-off. Um, kind of shows that you could put almost anybody around him and he'd still be fantastic. Um, so I, I think I would tend to be the, to say this one. Who would be your uh, second pick, your runner-up pick for a league MVP? I actually have it as Giannis right now. Okay, Giannis. So then Joel and B would be third, then, right? Yeah, and I think it's really a one A, one B, one C thing. But uh, when I did my vote, I did have Giannis too. Over the course, as long as you've been watching basketball and following basketball, uh, what's been uh, your favorite MVP race? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I don't really think I have one off the top of my head. I'd have to look back at it uh, in terms of. Uh, maybe having a list in front of me and remembering who who was up. They all kind of start to blend together, though. Um, I think that some people have uh, a really good brains for remembering exactly uh, who was in which race and everything like that. Um, but but I, I can't say that I have anything in particular uh, that comes to mind. Is, is there one that you think uh, is like the right answer there? Uh, well, uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking the Kawhi Harden Westbrook year, and I think 2017 was that 2017. Uh, that sounds right. That was the the Westbrook triple double year. That one comes to mind. There was also yeah, that's a really interesting one and kind of one that um, that sort of reshaped uh, a lot of narratives. And you know, I don't think that um, you know, I, I think it, I think it uh, the things that people said about were anti Westbrook at the time, um, you know, remain to be true today about what Westbrook's game. Um, so I, I I think it's interesting too. But I, I don't think his game. Uh, changed all that much, um, you know. I mean, obviously, he's lost a little bit of pop, a little bit of less as a. Um, he's definitely getting older, um, but you know the things that you know make him who he is uh, still are, are true today. So yeah, I think that that's interesting. I mean, I mean, Pierre for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and also I remember the uh, in OA Chris Paul and Kobe was pretty close. I think that that was an interesting one, uh, and then uh, I think there was a Giannis Harden one. But how about this? In terms of, let's just say, best MVP seasons, uh, 
or an MVP season that really sticks out in your mind? Like, this was a really special year. Do you have anyone that comes to your mind? Sorry, will you repeat that question? Like, special MVP season, like the year like when somebody won the MVP. Like, this was a truly special year that just kind of stands out in my mind. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think for me, the, probably the one that kind of comes to mind immediately for us would probably just be, you know, the fact that Kobe got, you know, one, um, you know, that's, a, uh, to, to, you know, to me, Kobe was such an important basketball player uh, in shaping my love for the game. So, um, when I think of, uh, when I think of that, I mean, I definitely think of, uh, you know, Kobe being able to, um, you know, get it the first time and the last time because, um, you know, he was such an important part of my, my development. It actually is crazy because when you do mention this, it's like Jokic is probably going to get a second MVP. He's going to have more MVPs than Kobe, Shaq, uh, Durant. <laughs> a lot of guys that maybe historically you would think are better than him. Right. Which uh, I, I've just always personally found that kind of interesting about how all that well, goes. There are, there are definitely things that Jokic can do that those other guys can't. That is true. That, that, that is true. So since you covered the league, I just want to know this. Just give me, like, your favorite five players to watch this year. Like, guys that you're like, I have to watch this guy. Oh, man. Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I like to watch a, a lot of rookies. Um, uh, so, this, this list might um, skew uh, a little closer uh, to rookies than, than most other people. Um, but uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Scotty Barnes. Um, I love the way he plays. Uh, I love the way... Um, that he is able to, um, you know, really uh, be, you know, so transcendent um, with his energy more than anything. I think that, you know, he's able to really um, make the guys around him have a good time, too. And um, most versatile defender in the NBA, if you ask me, he's hard one through five. A great playmaker as well for his position, for his size. Um, really, really love what he's done uh, with Toronto. Uh, he got my pick for Rookie of the Year um, as well. Uh, similarly, in terms of rookies, uh, I think somebody who's maybe a little underrated, um, and I think it's starting to get more recognition on the grand scale, but who I just absolutely love watching, um, is Herbert Jones. I think he's um, already one of the most impactful defenders in the NBA, uh, both in steals and blocks. Just you know, such a great hustle player, such a great defensive playmaker. Um, has really helped set the tone uh, in New Orleans on that side of the ball, but I think he's going to be um, an incredibly valuable player uh, for, for so, so many years. Um, and I think that it's just uh, awesome to see him have a success that he did immediately. Um, I think he was a huge culture setter in Alabama um, and, and one of my favorite guys uh, in the draft and um, somebody who definitely would have gone uh, even higher uh, in a redraft if we had one. Um, I'm a huge Lamelo Ball fan. Um, you know, he's up to do uh, anything crazy on any, on any given night. Um, I think that he's uh, just such a such a wild talent and a guy that, you know, almost, um, you know, doesn't make sense with some of the things that he does in his passes um, are just unbelievable. Um, and I think kind of uh, in a similar light, um, and I love Luka Doncic, uh, I think that he's, um, you know, once-a-lifetime kind of player, um, somebody who I think is going to win multiple MVPs by the time it's all said and done. Uh, really, really excited to see... Um, all the things that he's going to accomplish uh, in his career. Uh, I think that he's uh, just, you know, super, super interesting and um, super, super uh, competitive. And I think that he's got uh, the drive uh, to, to win championships. I hope he gets to be on the team 
uh, that is able to do that for him. Um, I think that is for, uh, I'll also leave you with Bam Adebayo, uh, who is my pick for defense player of the year. Um, love his versatility on the defense side on the floor as well. Um, you know, love the way he switches uh, to the ball handler during pick and roll. Um, you know, love the fact that he's able to, you know, be such a menace, such a great playmaker on offense to uh, such an efficient scorer. Um, I think that he is another guy who's a real culture setter uh, for Miami, and I think one of the reasons why, you know, they've had as much success as they've had. Um, granted, there's a lot of injuries in Miami this year, but, you know, Miami is the one seed for a reason. I think that he's able to uh, give them a lot of what they're able to do on uh, both ends of the floor, um, and I really like his game uh, quite a bit. So you cover the draft. I think it's interesting, right? When you do scouting, you probably get to watch a lot of these college basketball games. Who's somebody? Just and also another again, like some guys. It doesn't have to be five. Just over the years that you've watched, and I know sometimes when you scout, you gravitate towards certain guys over others, and you're like, I really like him. I really like what he can be. Who have been some of those guys for you as long as you've kind of been following college football? I mean, college basketball, excuse me, and how they can translate to the NBA. That you're like, I just really like this person's game. Uh, in this class. Uh, in this class or other classes. Well, I mean, I guess in other classes it's a little bit hard because we've already seen, uh, we've already seen it. Um, I think that uh, in the upcoming class, though, um, uh, I think Jeremy Sokan or Baylor, uh, somebody who um, you know really, really speaks to what the NBA game uh, is becoming in a lot of ways in terms of guys who are a little more under the radar um, because he's um, somebody who is. Um, like, so, so versatile defensively, he's becoming a better shooter. Um, you know, I think that he's uh, able to add a lot of value on both sides of the floor. Um, you know, I think that Jabari Smith and Paolo Bancaro uh, and Chet Holmgren, honestly, all three of those guys, um, you know, are, are generational talents in some ways because of their ability to shoot uh, the lights out, um, you know, being six foot ten or taller. Um, you know, I think that Paolo and Jabari especially are such fantastic shot creators and that's going to translate uh, just kind of exactly what uh, the NBA uh, is game of looking for. Um, and I think that that, um, you know, it's just is awesome. Uh, I think that Dyson Daniels on the G League tonight uh, is going to have a game that really translates well to. He's a good defender and he's um, you know, able to play well with the ball in his hands. He's tall, 6'7", I think, and, um, you know, good playmaker. And um, I think that he doesn't uh, need the offense to run through him, which means you can kind of flank him. Um, you know, with another lead uh, ball handler and you know, still making an impact. And you mentioned this, right, the draft, it's an inexact science. There's been guys that you've missed on. Who's somebody that you missed on that you weren't necessarily as high on and they ended up being a lot better than uh, you thought they were going to be? And why do you think that player ended up being better than you initially thought they could be? Mm, I mean, I think it comes down to, um, you know, opportunity a lot of times. Um, you know, I, I wasn't um, not high on like the Anthony Simons type, but there wasn't a ton of information uh, about him. You know, coming out of high school um, because he was, uh, you know, um, didn't go to the NBA path. And I think going to IMG Academy made it a little bit harder for me to scout him. Um, you know, I think that uh, some of the uh, some of the Kentucky ball handlers um, I, I've had trouble evaluating. I think a lot of times with Kentucky, their bigs uh, overperform and their guards almost underperform. Uh, so I wasn't particularly big on uh, Tyrese Maxey, Tyler Hero, or Emmanuel Quickly, and you know all those guys have been great in the NBA. Um, I think that you know maybe that's a Coach Cal thing, but um, and then there's you know there's guys who uh, 
players, you know, aren't really on the radar very much because they're, um, you know, smaller schools. How much do you think it's going to hurt scouting if the NBA or when uh, the NBA goes back to high school kids can come out? Um, I I think that you know maybe for people on on Twitter who do the scouting process, um, it's going to be uh, a little bit harder. Uh, I think, but you know ultimately, um, you know NBA teams uh, have the resources and you know have the travel budget and. Um, you know, how are able to have those subscription services and um, do everything they can possibly do to get it. So, um, you know, NBA teams aren't controlled too much. So you don't think there's a, you know, the, whether it's high school, college, you know, they're going to be able to evaluate these guys? Um, say that again? Or you don't think there's any, it doesn't make it harder. You don't think it makes it harder at all? I mean, there's nothing to make it harder. Um, but I think that, if you're, if you're great at basketball, you know, NBA teams will find you. Uh, I think it'll make it a lot harder, definitely, for, um, you know, like uh, like I said, like more of the amateur type, you know, maybe some of the media types um, as well, um, who aren't like high level of ESPN. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I think at the most part, you know, if you, if you can ball, um, you know, guys, guys will usually see you. Um, and, and you'll get a chance to, to show out. And I think it'll be harder uh, to judge it with, you know, different levels of competition to play against. But, you know, if you're playing basketball at a high level, you know, I think, I think NBA teams you know, can find a way to get you on their radar. Why do you think someone like Luca falls in the draft? I mean, he didn't really fall. I mean, he was a pick, like, what, like, third or something like that. But, like, a guy who was, if all these leagues in Europe, like, that's, like, the second best basketball in the world to the NBA, and he's been, like, the best player since he was, like, 14 or 15. How does that guy not go number one? Yeah, I mean, you know, with Aiden in particular, he was, uh, you know, Robert Sarver went to University of Arizona, and, you know, that's obviously a huge part of it. Um, you know, having uh, ownerships sway you one way or the other can um, have a big impact, and uh, that definitely plays a part of the role there. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, Bagley was a really highly touted recruit, too, obviously. You know, he was the top player in class before he reclassified, and, you know, uh, went to Duke, and obviously, um, you know, that had some pedigree. Um, but, you know, I think people, uh, you know, just uh, were a little bit more, uh, you know, scared going for the international route when, um, you know, wasn't as much of a, um, a known commodity in terms of, uh, you know, the college sense for the fans um, as well. You know, maybe um, people didn't necessarily want to upset their fan base or um, maybe, you know, they wanted somebody who, um, you know, was able to, uh, you know, have a name recognition from playing. Uh, in the NCAA, uh, or um, you know, both those guys were big. Maybe they were drafted positionally, um, but you know, I mean, I, I definitely thought Luca was the player that I drafted for. Who have been some of the best players you've ever evaluated? Uh, I mean, Luca is definitely there. I mean, I think Lamella is definitely there. Um, you know, I think that um, I, I really love Kate Cunningham as well. I think he's. He's got to be up there. Uh, I think he's going to be uh, a stud for, for a long time in the NBA. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, in terms of just being a draft fit, um, you know, I, I personally, um, you know, have uh, been able to, you know, draft a uh, few mock drafts and big boards for. I mean, um, you know, Zion was so outstanding uh, as well. Um, you know, I think Zion's going to be a phenomenal when it comes back. 
Why do you think players succeed and fail? Like, what would you say? I mean, no, there's probably multiple different factors but just whatever a few for you that you look back like okay this is why this person ended up not being as good why they ended up being really good with shooting conditioning fit like like why yeah i mean i think a lot of it shoulders up with guys uh, i think a lot of these people um you know it would be uh super um you know uh athletic uh players who have all the physical tools you can need and um sometimes you got to cover by head on your shoulders too and um, you know, be a part of the right uh, system that's going to benefit you, um, you know, in many ways possible. So, favorite athlete you've ever gotten to interview? Oh, man. Uh, I mean... Or I, just give... You can give multiple. You can give multiple. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I've, done, I've done so many. Um, you know, in terms of uh, the draft, I think my favorite, or one of my favorites was, uh, was definitely Bones Highland of Denver last year. Um, I thought he was just fantastic and like tell right away the star personality. But you know, there've been a bunch of guys who I've interviewed and been like, this guy's gonna, this guy's gonna work. Uh, Devin Bain was one of them. Uh, Xavier Tillman um, was one of them as well. Um, you know, across the board, it's just sometimes you can tell when uh, somebody has the the it factor. Uh, Isaiah Stewart, uh, loved my draft interview with him. I thought he was uh, phenomenal, and super, uh, super um, competitive, and, and um, I knew he was gonna have. Uh, some of that great uh, soon as well. Um, but, you know, I, I have loved my time. I've interviewed Shaq twice now, and, um, you know, it's been awesome to get to know him a little bit. You know, even just a week or two ago, I was able to interview uh, you know, Dr. J. And, like, that's such a legendary guy for so many reasons. And um, I thought he was, you know, super cool to get to know him because he's, he's such a legend. Okay, how about this? Who's somebody you haven't interviewed but you'd love to? Uh, I'd love to interview Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Why Dennis? <laughs> uh, because yeah, I mean he's uh, he's 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 the most interesting player to play basketball as long as I can remember. I mean he's uh, he's definitely somebody who um, you know is it comes from a different school of thought. Now I think he's uh, he's he's just such a um, a unique uh, personality. Brian, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And once again, I want to thank Brian Kobrowski for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 418th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.